This is exactly right. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Kate Winkler Dawson, a journalist, author, and podcast host. And I'm Paul Holes, a retired investigator with experience solving some of America's most notorious cold cases. Together, we host Buried Bones, a historical true crime podcast on the Exactly Right Network. Each week, we examine a different case from history and use our years of experience and 21st century forensics to bring new insights into these very old tragedies. Like the time the Sausage King of Chicago's wife went missing in 1897. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Follow Buried Bones wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm your host, Dr. Dan. Our goal and mission of Parent Footprint is to create a loving world with more compassionate people, one parent and one child at a time. We believe at Parent Footprint that the key to raising happy, healthy, engaged, and aware kids is for us parents to do the same, to seek happiness, health, engagement, and awareness in our own lives. And we firmly believe that we can all create our own vision of successful parenting by being aware of what we want for our children and our grandchildren, and by being the person we want our children to become. Today's show is called The Sensory Child Gets Organized, and I'm very pleased to introduce you to to Carolyn Dalgleish, who has spent 11 years and more in sales, customer service, management, executive recruitment with both small businesses and Fortune 500 companies before shifting her focus to raising her two small children. Her professional experience and personal journey as a parent of a, of a century child fueled her interest in organizing and led her to recognize how good systems contribute not only to career success, but also to personal well-being for children and families. All of this led her to found her company, Systems for Sensory Kids, which is a leading-edge organizing model that bridges the gap between clinical support and practical support in-home solutions for rigid, anxious, and distracted kids. Carolyn has done a lot of publishing with articles, speaks regularly at conferences, and has a great book called The Sensory Child Gets Organized, which we're going to talk a lot about today, which teaches parents and educators how to tap into systems, routines, and visual aids to organize and empower their rigid, anxious, and distracted kids. Carolyn, welcome to the show. Dr. Dan, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell us how this all came to be as you bridge your professional life to one with a personal mission to help so many children and families. Well, for me, it really started 
at home as I was raising my own child, who at an early age, around the age of two, we started to see was having some developmental delays and some challenges. And as we started down that road as parents of, you know, evaluations and trying to figure out what was going on, we came to discover that because our child had, you know, high functioning needs and and for the most part did very well, that there was a real gap in the support that we could get in our home. And so we found as parents that we really needed to learn a whole new language and learn ways to support him so our life at home could be, you know, calm and 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 really pleasant as much as it could be. He was a highly sensitive kid and we really needed some tangible ways to make life at home more peaceful. And as I kind of went on that journey, I, I, I saw that many other families didn't know how to do this. And when you say highly sensitive, uh, there's several people listening who that will completely resonate with. And I think there are a lot of people listening who maybe don't realize they have a highly sensitive child. So tell us, tell us about what you mean by highly sensitive and, and what that, the, the range of what that looks like in kids. Sure. You know, I think highly sensitive is such a great term because when kids are really young, we're often not going down a diagnostic path yet. It can, as kids look get older, look like anxiety disorder, ADHD, um, ADD, you know, high-functioning autism, Asperger's. But when kids are younger, it often just looks like, you know, a child who's very highly sensitive and overwhelmed by their environment. It could be as simple as a child who's very introverted and shy. Um, so that's really the profile I was looking to start out with. That was my starting point, knowing that younger kids, that's really what it's going to look like. Kids with um, sensory sensitivities, you know, getting overwhelmed with new information coming at them. And so that was really the profile I was looking to support and keeping it as broad as possible. And we all know that Behind all of this stuff is are, is uh, sensitivity, physiological sensitivity, overwhelm, um, neurological sensitivity, and what we see generally as uh, parents and as educators is often difficult behavior. Right, that's what we see. Definitely difficult behavior or complete shutting down. So they're right. you know not receiving any information at that point, and you know either one is of course very disruptive for their ability to navigate a day, to, to be in learning mode, um, and to, you know, to be able to be successful in, in different types of situations. And what I didn't say about you in your in the intro, which I, I think is important for everyone to know, I mean, you are a professional organizer and do a lot of professional work in that area. So how did you bridge what you knew in the, you know, in the professional world over to the home world? Well, that's a great question. And yes, organizing is definitely how I got into this work. And like any general organizing work I would do with someone, I would notice that the process was always breaking something down, um, eliminating any distraction or stimuli that kind of wasn't supporting where they were at, and then creating some sort of a system to support a new habit. And that same philosophy worked very well as I was looking to support sensory kids or highly sensitive kids. So 
that ability to break something down, to eliminate any internal or external distractions that might be in the way. And then for kids, it's really about creating a visual. So you have a way to ground yourself and to ground them as they walk through an overwhelming situation. Say more about the visual. I think that's key. The visual is key. And there's multi-layers to the visual. And I think I'm, I, I can talk about it through a parent's perspective and also through the sensory child's perspective. Through the parent's perspective, I think the visual is so important because as I was working with families, I saw, and mine is included in this, I saw that there were many adults that were also rigid, anxious, and distracted in their own right and found it very overwhelming to be dealing with a child who was overwhelmed. So the visual can help the parent stay in the moment and stay present to the task at hand. So it gives us a map, right? And I think the other thing that is very true with raising sensory kids is as a parent, you can very often be in the future with worries about what life is going to look like for them. And the visual and the system helps you stay, again, in the present moment, working on the behavior, you know, at hand. And for kids, it's very much the same thing, just coming from a different angle. So, you know, I'll use an example of a child who has a hard time getting dressed in the morning. Um, And really the issue is knowing that they're transitioning to school, right? So if if that is the way that they are manifesting challenging behavior and you create a visual, um, a menu of what getting dressed looks like in the morning and what the process is and what the steps are, you've eliminated some of that transition anxiety and you've given them something distracting to look at, to follow, to help them walk through that anxiety. So visuals are really the cornerstone of what I think is so supportive to both parents and kids in this process. Yeah, and I'm uh, reaching back now in my memory banks, and we have three teenagers who all were highly sensitive sensory kids. And when you talk about the worry, <laughs> like that so resonates. Um, not only the worry about the future and what's going to become of them, but the worry about even getting out the door or transitioning from, um, dr- from drop-off uh, at school, which can be really overwhelming from a sensory perspective or anxiety perspective. And then the birthday parties, which, you know, an hour and a half into having someone on your lap like Velcro, there are now they're ready to engage and the party's over in 10 minutes, right? Like there's so many so potential many. anxiety moments, right? So many. Um, you're yeah, absolutely do you right. Ha- I mean, did you have a mantra? Go, yeah, go ahead. So I, I guess my mantra for, for me personally is I, I, I really made myself a checklist. And it was how I trained my brain to start to get in touch with where my son was here and now. And I would sit down periodically and fill this out. And it was what times of day are hard for him? What situations currently overwhelm him? When is he the most calm and connected? When do I see him the most relaxed? When do I see him really, really overwhelmed? And then I would work off that list and pick two or three things to support. And I found that's all I needed. And all I could manage, truthfully, at the time right. is, is, is really a couple of times a day and try to think of a system that could help that transition or help that task. 
And it was amazing how much better that made our life, our life at home. I really like, I want to highlight one thing you just said here, train your brain, you trained your brain. And in, and in that training, what I think is really helpful information for everyone is to really be the expert on your child, right? When you're asking all those questions about when is he most calm? When is he most upset, right? Um, when are the hard moments? When are the good moments? They're often are patterns, you know, not always, but there often are patterns. And I'm thinking about one of the people's work who I followed for a long time, uh, Ross Green, uh, Explosive Child Collaborative Problem Solving. Something that he taught me years ago was we are all experts on our kids. We all, you know, and if we can just look at the patterns, we don't have to be surprised or shocked by them. And I think a lot of times it's just, it's almost the acceptance of it, right? Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought him up, him up because that is my all-time favorite book. And that was yeah. pivotal, a pivotal book for my parenting experience because, as Dr. Green says, kids will do well if they can. Right. And it helped me really understand that my child wasn't doing well because he couldn't. He wasn't understanding mm-hmm. how things were unfolding. And when I really understood that, and knew that if I could support that, his behavior would would change and he would be happier and calmer. It was a game changer. Totally. And um, right, how many, I mean, kids don't want to be in trouble. Kids don't want to melt down. Like kids have the same driving force we do to enjoy life. (laughs) um, So yeah, that's something really important for us to remember when our kids are struggling, even when it is directed at us, which it often is, you know, hopefully the loving people that they can, do and say those things too when they're feeling so overwhelmed. I mean, they're really struggling. Absolutely. When you're working with parents, how do you start to break it down with them? What do you suggest? So I, before I have a consultation with a family, the first thing I do is send over that worksheet that I used for myself. I've, of course, updated a little bit, but I send over a worksheet and I have each parent sit down and fill it out separately. So I can see, because often parents will have different opinions about what are the challenging times of day. And Mm -hmm. so I like to kind of get everyone on the same page on the top two or three things we want to work on. So I I start with that checklist and then I, and then we pick jointly two or three things to create a system around. And it can be around, you know, homework. It can be around getting out in the morning. It can be around going to bed at night. It can be around, you know, getting stuff organized in the bathroom. One of the, one image that probably the image and post I did that probably got the the most viral hits was a a bathroom caddy and it had three cups in it. And the caddy was labeled with one brush hair, two wash face, three brush teeth. (laughs) And it's, it's literally that simple. And the beautiful thing about the caddy is people loved it because it was often a challenging task. If a child was having a difficult time, you could take the caddy and say to the child, do you want to get ready in this bathroom or this bathroom? And that power of choice, sometimes in those right. really heated, overwhelmed moments, is enough to make the child feel like they have some sense of control and can get them started. But that one image was really, um, I think, is such a good snapshot of what sensory mm-hmm. organizing is and, and what it can do when you 
really identify two or three things and create a very small system and a visual support around it. I love that because I'm always reminded of, you know, living in complex times with complex kids. We always think the answer needs to be complex or the the solution or the, the, the intervention. And so much of the time in life, um, it's simplicity, which brings calm and success. Absolutely. And, and really what you're all doing, parents and child alike, in that moment is by shifting your attention from the emotion to the visual, you are really readjusting your mindset in that moment. So Mm -hmm. as much as we want to believe it's about this fantastic visual, (laughs) which I'm sure there's some support in that, it's really in the moment of the the mindset shift. That's where the power comes in and the empowerment for the child. Yes, the empa- I think that is also so key, having spent a lot of years working with these kinds of kids, is I think we all underestimate how impactful it can be to give a child um, a, the power of choice, as you said, and also the sense of control. Because when you're overwhelmed and you're anxious or you're shutting down, like this is this is brain-based parenting, right? This is the fight and, or flight um, is just kicking in. Part of our brain is kicking in, and a way to reduce that is give someone some a sense of of control in their life, so they can take a positive step instead of just a a meltdown, shutdown, or act out. Absolutely, and and in that moment when they're in challenging behavior, they're believing something that might not be true. And when you give them that moment to pause and look at it differently, that belief starts to change. So I, I really do believe the power in that, in that moment. And that's what sensory organizing does. And it can work around an emotion, you know, a, um, a challenging emotion a kid is having or a challenging time of day. It just is such a powerful moment. And I know a lot of your work does focus on adults and parents, which um, is totally aligned with Parent Footprint. And when I think of one of the key components of our, our Parent Footprint Awareness Training has to do with um, energy, a parent's energy, or otherwise known mm. as emotion and emotional regulation. And it's like in these moments, and again, I've been there plenty of times as a parent, it's, I actually think we're the ones who are large, we can't control everything, but largely responsible for, as Ross Green has put it, you know, the kid going over the waterfall and totally melting down, or a sense of distraction or calm just based on not only even our our, our physical response, emotional response, but just the energy that we're bringing to this stressful situation. Absolutely. And, And that's where it can be so powerful for parents to take a moment to notice often in those moments, you're not afraid of what's happening in the moment. You are already 10 years down the road. Totally. Because, you know, and I think that's a a powerful thing. One visual I've used for myself and I've done for other parents is I've asked them to identify the areas in the house where they lose their temper the most and have them put a visual up for themselves to see. So if it's, you know, the door leading out to the garage because you're telling your kids, hurry up, hurry up, or it's at the bathroom because you're you know, getting frustrated with how long it's taking the kids to go to bed, or whatever those couple of areas are in your house to put a visual up for you so you get that reminder to take a deep breath, 
and try to approach approach the situation in a calmer way. You know, it, it's so powerful when we can show kids how to emotionally regulate. Um, that's one of the most powerful things we can do as a parent. And yes, we're going to get it wrong sometimes, but that's also okay for them to see as well. Exactly. Another thing that I think can be pretty powerful is I think often as parents, we can look at our child having a difficult time and feel how different they feel from us in that moment. And what I often give parents an exercise to try when they're approaching a situation where a child is very dysregulated. I say, find a moment in your life where you get dysregulated. In that moment, quietly in your head, find a situation and identify a situation that dysregulates you and feel that. Because in that moment, you're, you're no different than your child. You're both the same. And that's a mm-hmm. very powerful thing because it really equals the playing field. And it allows us to approach that situation with a lot more compassion. Gosh, compassion is key, right? This, that compassion really for... Yeah, and I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, when we start with our kiddos and, you know, some have colic and some have sensory early on, but when they're really young you know, up to the point that we are completely sleep deprived and uh, and need a, mm-hmm. a little break. There's a ton of compassion we have for our dysregulated uh, infants. And, it, and at some point, I, it just seems that compassion can take a back seat to the difficult behavior, which is why I think it's just so important what you just pointed out. Absolutely. And I think our mind, we, we have all these preconceived ideas of what parenting is supposed to look like. And we can't help but go there automatically, right? It's just an autopilot thing. And every time your eight-year-old is emotionally dysregulated, your mind is telling you, that's not how I was, or this is not how it's supposed to be. This behavior is wrong. And that's what we're trying to work through. We're trying to get to a place of of not seeing it that way. Yeah, that and that... Managing our thoughts is such a big part of um, just coping, right? Understanding our, our thoughts, under uh, you know, questioning our thoughts is metacognition. Like, is it true? Is this just a fear or a worry? Absolutely. Okay, I got to bring myself mm-hmm. back to the moment. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So what about, what about the, um, I don't want to say naysayers, but I just said that because that's what came to my mind. More about the people, <laughs> the, I, you know, I know, but, um, yeah, that might work for them, but not us. Or... My house, you know, this, I don't, we don't have money to support this. Our house doesn't have room for this. Like, I'm sure you get all sorts of um, skepticism, I would say. Definitely. And, and I, my response to that is, is always the same. Let's try one thing. And I've had people, I've tried a system with, with people on a piece of paper where I've drawn pictures and put it in a, you know, a plastic picture frame. And it was a morning schedule. So this is what the morning is in sequence with Mm -hmm. pictures. Try it for a week and let's connect in a week and see, see what you noticed. And Mm -hmm. often there's been a, a major shift in the transition. And sometimes, sometimes the visual's not correct. Sometimes the, the child says, oh, that's not the right order. I like to do it this way. And then you have the child draw the pictures. Great. Now they're even more invested. But it really does not take much. And mm-hmm. I mean, when, when my son was younger, I would and was in a, you know, a situation where I had to do something on the fly. I've, I've done visuals on uh, restaurant napkins 
And, you know, it, it, it really, it's, it's not the stuff. I mean, I, I, I try to say that a lot. It's not the stuff that you need to go buy. A lot of what mm-hmm. you can do, you already have in your house. It's just a more mindful approach to how you're using it and how you're introducing it. And, and that really is, it is pretty powerful. You just uh, hit something else that totally resonates uh, with parent footprint mindset, which is the one thing approach. And uh, we find that when you can just choose one thing about anything you're working on in your life, whether it's about yourself, your parenting, and this totally hits. So if there was one thing that you would recommend to our listeners to just take once to take a step, what is one thing they could do? to help their sensory child get organized? I would really sit down and get a little quiet and notice the first thing that comes to your mind in terms of what is an overwhelming time of day. One thing. And try to think of a visual you could make to support it. Think of the sequence of how it unfolds. Is it the right sequence? Can we try a different sequence? How can I empower my child to be a part of the schedule, the system? And then just try it and, and see what happens. It, it really can be such a mind shift in terms of mm-hmm. the, the collaboration with the child. I think that's the other thing that was such an important shift for me is all of a sudden I was including my child in how he wanted, how he saw things, how he responded to things coming at him. And and all of a sudden I was thinking it in terms of his perception and not just my own. And that really did change everything. And, And it just started with one, one task. And it, it just became such a teaching moment for me. Oh, that's really important. That is so important. And and I'm chuckling because I I have to just share this quick story of um that totally relates to this. When our um oldest uh was she was probably I'm guessing she was about 7 or 8 years old and um a sensory sens- sensitively sensitive uh sensory person and the the room battles were were large. Actually they they haven't changed all that much. But except you know like right. stuff everywhere, stuff everywhere right. and we would go in and like you know help clean and then you know sometimes you wonder like who is this for? Is more for us or for her? And we'd well, clean and exactly. clean and then and then and then my wife and I had this great idea that we'd put the dresser in the the closet because there was room and then put the stuff there so there'd be more room in her room for her to move around because we knew that with more space that was um, more um, not overwhelming, that was good for Mm -hmm. her. And it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. And I finally decided, like, why don't I, like, bring home something I do in my office every day? And I said, I said, sweetie... I'm just wondering, you know, that we keep battling about your room being disorganized and messy. Do you have any ideas? And the reason I'm also laughing is because I know you've done a lot of work at the container store and the, and, and, and the container store is involved in this. And she said, yes, I don't know why you guys put all my clothes away in a dresser behind my closet door where I can't see it. I need to be able to see my stuff. Can't you just go and get one of those wire um, cheap dressers where I can see what's in the drawer? Oh, such, and, yeah. And, Oh, right. Wisdom. 
that it's saved wisdom. us. Yeah, wisdom. <laughs> Just from a question, Total a wisdom. simple question. No, yeah. you know, and it's it's so funny. If you think about a sensory sensitivity and you think about overwhelm, one way kids experience that is visually. And if you think about mm-hmm. a classic dresser with big drawers that stuff is going to get jammed in, right. that's very overwhelming. It's overwhelming to find something. It's overwhelming to put something away. And one of the best things you can do is get a more visual setup where you have individual buckets that, mm-hmm. or you know, mesh baskets that hold individual items. So when you're looking for the short sleeve t-shirt, it's not in one big dresser drawer mixed in with the long sleeve t-shirts and the turtlenecks and the sweaters. And that is so right on. And it's that kind of a system, a mesh drawer system, is the perfect blend of visual enough, but categories Mm -hmm. for everything. So it it allows them to still be (laughs) messy-ish, but still has things contained enough that it works for everyone. Because I'm also a fan, yeah, you know, I'm also a fan of organized enough, you know, and that's what works for a lot of sensory kids, you know, just enough so it's, it it looks visually, you know, pleasing, but they don't have to hyper maintain it because they won't. Exactly. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Okay. So that story is going to lead us to your story, Carolyn. So this is the parent footprint moment question where you enlighten all of us about a time where you became aware of yourself as an individual and or a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. I love this question, and I'm actually going to go back to the moment that I started to understand how I needed to parent my child. And so it goes way back to when My son was two, and daughter was three months old, and we were transitioning his room. We needed the crib for her and needed to get his room set up for, you know, big boy bed stuff. And I, in that moment, I really didn't understand that I did everything incorrectly through the eyes of a (laughs) sensory child. I (laughs) totally changed his entire room in one day without involving him at all. And that night, trying to get him to bed, was a nightmare. And it Mm -hmm. probably took four hours to get him to bed. And it wasn't until I'm, you know, an exhausted mom with two little kids, one newborn. And I just take a moment and I lean against the wall. And I just ask a question. And it was this question of, how can I see this differently? And Ian would not stay in his room. He was very overwhelmed. And I had a thought of what is he interested in right now? What are his fascinations? And one of his fascinations at this time was orange safety cones. And we happened to have a few of them in our playroom. And I went and got an orange safety cone and I put it in his doorway. And then he would Hmm. get out of his bed, run to the doorway, stop and look at the cone and get back into his bed. And then I thought, huh, I'll, let me move this to his nightstand. So then I put the safety cone on his nightstand, and he stayed in bed. That was how I started to understand mm. that I needed to approach it differently with him. I needed to show him in a way that made sense to him. And let me tell you, those safety cones went everywhere with us for a while. 
I put him uh, yeah. around his chair at the dining room table because he understood it. It made him feel safe. It made him, oh, I'm supposed to stay here now. I get that. So that was really when everything started to change for me and when I started to really have a more mindful approach to how to parent him. Oh, I love that. And and that was also the beginning of I'm your visuals, right? That I mean, was what a, how it all started. An amazing tangible visual. Yeah. That, yeah. Exactly. As well as tapping into the gift of the fascination. Yeah. Well, and I love, and just a safety cone too, right? That that not only right. is that a, a, a real thing, but also the metaphor for him feeling secure. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And at the end of the day, that's what the kids want. They want that feeling of security. They do. And it's our job uh, to give it to them until they can provide it for themselves. Absolutely. Carolyn, thanks so much. Um, you obviously have a ton of wisdom about this. And um, it's just so wonderful because it's so much about your approach is so much about the parent and combining the parenting with knowledge. And what I'll say is simplicity once the complexity can be broken down to create an action plan which you can get some pretty immediate success, which builds more success and confidence. Absolutely. Yeah. It really comes down to building off that. And where can everyone find more about you? Well, best thing would be right on my website, which is sensoryorganizing.com. And of course, I have a whole bunch of systems outlined in my book, The Sensory Child Gets Organized, and um, on Facebook page which is uh, Carolyn Dalgleish. And I try to share tips and systems for sensory kids pretty regularly. And that's, that's a great, great way to start. Definitely check it out, everyone. Her website has wonderful, lots of information on it. Um, I was looking at earlier 10 rules for parenting a child with sensory processing disorder. Um, there are so, there's so much helpful information and, um, Carolyn, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us this morning. Thank you, Dr. Dan. It was really great to be here. Thanks for listening, everyone. Check us out at www.parentfootprint.com. Check out our past podcasts. Be on the lookout for our future ones where we will continue to have wonderful, enlightening information from wonderful people who are in this journey with us. Remember to focus on your awareness about who you want your child to be. Create your own vision of successful parenting, and most importantly, be the person you want your child to become. And always think about this guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave?